I am very excited to announce that the doors to the PCOS Food Fix are officially open and we're starting on March 6th. This is my brand new six-week coaching program where you'll learn how to reverse your PCOS symptoms with a nutrition plan that does not feel like a diet or eliminates your favorite foods. In this program, I'm going to teach you how to quote unquote, fix your PCOS symptoms while getting your food fix as well. We are not going to eliminate anything. You're not gonna feel restricted. This is an inclusive program that allows flexible eating for PCOS, which is really the only way to go. If you're a woman dealing with PCOS and you feel confused about what to eat or frustrated with lack of results despite your best efforts and you want to follow a realistic plan that fits into your busy schedule, this program was created to help you. Your doctor may not have shared this, but many, if not all of your PCOS symptoms can absolutely be reversed with a healthy meal plan. But there's so much more to it than just following a certain menu or knowing to add protein to your day. No, no, no. We go way deeper than that inside the PCOS food fix. What you're going to learn inside this program will change not only how you eat, but how you think about food as well. It will help you make a full transformation of your health, not for a week, not for a month, for the rest of your life. I want you to imagine waking up every morning, feeling confident about your food choices, seeing positive changes in your body and feeling more comfortable in your clothes and in general than you have been in years. It's going to also help you stay more consistent and motivated which really means that your biggest health goals, whether that's weight loss, getting your period back, increasing fertility, reducing cravings, having more energy, feeling less anxious, feeling more positive, less brain fog, all of these things will likely become a reality by the end of our time together. I am going to give you a step-by-step process to doing that as well as support along the way. You get private coaching with me. You get daily chat support. We have live calls. So you are going to get the accountability, support, and guidance that you need every step of the way. So what I want you to do right now is go ahead and check out all the program details over at daphnachazen.com slash food fix, one word, DaphnaChazen.com forward slash food fix. And I cannot wait to see you inside. Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. is a recording of a live Q&A session I did inside my Master Your Meals workshop Facebook group. Wow, that was a mouthful. But recently I did a five-day workshop called Master Your Meals. Hopefully you got a chance to join us for that. It was amazing. It was really a great time and a great week for me to kind of get connected with you and teach you a little bit about how to put meals together without confusion, with more confidence, and also taking some shortcuts and hacks in the kitchen to save you time and energy because again, you want PCOS meal planning and prepping to be as streamlined and as natural as possible. And so that was the workshop that I ran on the fifth day. We did a Q&A session and that's what you're going to hear today on the episode. We talked about managing emotional eating. We talked about reducing sugar intake after dinner, how to do that. We talked about keeping your energy levels up as well as a few other questions regarding specific PCOS foods and how to 
incorporate them. So I hope you find it valuable and you're hearing here the full Q&A session. At one point in the session, I showed a slide about head hunger versus physical hunger. And so obviously when you're listening on the podcast, you can't see that, but I did explain it in detail and hopefully you will be able to still get value from it, even though you can't see it. All right, so let's go ahead and take a listen. We'll start kind of with the easy ones. We'll knock them out. So is it better to use whole flax seeds or ground? Ground are better. Your body can't actually absorb the whole seeds, it kind of goes right through you. It doesn't cause diarrhea or anything like that, but you'll see if you notice your poop that, you know, flax seeds need to be ground. Otherwise, when they're whole, you're just going to be pooping them out. And we don't want that because all the goodness, all the benefits and the nutrition are inside the seed. Now they are sold whole and you have two options. You can buy them ground or you can buy them whole and grind them yourself. Most of my clients choose to just not worry about it and buy them already ground. When you open the bag and use it for the first time, you then want to store it in the freezer because once they grind the seeds, the inside, the oils, the omega-3 fats, all the goodness that's inside is exposed because it's ground and that can oxidize really quickly if it's left just in your pantry. So it should be in a dark, cold place, ideally your fridge or freezer. That's going to make sure that they don't go rancid and they last you a long time. And all you have to do is use one tablespoon a day. You can put it in oatmeal, smoothies, yogurt, salad dressings, chia pudding. There are many different ways to use it. Inside the program, I have lots of recipes that use muffins and baked goods healthier versions of those things. Those are my recipes using a little bit of a different ingredient profile and, you know, making sure that the nutrition is on point. And you can definitely add flax seeds to banana bread or muffins or things like that. Pancakes. I have a recipe for pancakes with flax seeds. So there are a lot of different options, whether you grind it your own or you buy a ground, that's the way to go. Otherwise it's not absorbed and you're not getting any of the benefit. What are your thoughts on sourdough bread? I love sourdough bread. Are there benefits to it versus other breads? So this is a good question. We talked a little bit about breads and fiber this past week. And while fiber is really important, sourdough bread, which is not containing any fiber really, is also a good alternative or a good bread choice. And many people like it because it has cultures. It has probiotics because it's fermented, right? The mother is a fermented product and it contains cultures. And it's also relatively low glycemic just because of the way that it's produced. It actually doesn't cause a huge spike in blood sugar. And hopefully most of you will add another fiber source in that meal. So it doesn't really make a difference that it's lower fiber than most breads that I would recommend. So it's a great choice. If you like sourdough bread, by all means, go for it. Just add something else to your plate that has fiber, maybe berries, or maybe you're doing an omelet with beans or something like that. That is an excellent choice. Okay. Next question was, so that was about sourdough bread. That is a thumbs up for me. Go for it. Delicious. Is it okay to mix mayo and D-chiro inositol powder into my protein shakes or is it better to mix it into plain water? Doesn't matter. What does matter is a few things. And if you've never listened to the podcast episode that I did on inositol, go ahead and do that. I gave you all the different you know, tips that I have about how to take it and what types are good and what brands I recommend. 
those of you who haven't listened to it, there are two brands that I usually recommend. One you've probably heard of, it's Ovacetol, which is a powder. So you do add that to a liquid and I'll get your question answered in a second. The other one is capsules. So those of you who don't like powders, you don't really do shakes or anything like that, you would rather just take a pill and be done. Vita Chic. Maybe Elena, you could put the link to it, to the Vita Chic and Ocetol in the comments. And I have a coupon code. You can get 15% off with my code Daphna, but both are good. So you have the option of a powder and the option of a capsule. Both contain Mayo and D-Cairo inositol, which are the two inositol types that you want to get. And the important thing is that you're taking it with food. So if you're drinking it in your water, make sure that you're eating it with food. Some people get digestive distress. It's not common, but it has happened. And it usually kind of resolves itself. So there's nothing to worry about. If you do drink the inositol powder or take the capsules and you feel a little queasy, maybe a little bit crampy for a couple of days, that is normal. Obviously, it shouldn't last much longer than that. It usually resolves itself, but take it with a meal that should help with that. And the other thing is that you want to split the dose. So usually what's recommended in the research shows that the biggest benefits of inositol come with four grams per day. And so you want to split it to two grams and two grams. And usually one serving would have two grams. So you want to check the label of whatever inositol product that you're using. But I know that, for example, with the pills, with the Vita Chic pills, four pills are about 2000 milligrams, I believe, which is two grams. So you do want to take double that, but you want to split it. Okay. Your body is going to not be able to absorb the full dose in one sitting. And so maybe you take half the dose with breakfast, half the dose with dinner. It doesn't matter if you drink it with water. It doesn't matter if you have it inside your smoothie. As long as you drink the whole thing, that is totally fine. But you do want to make sure you get up to four grams per day and that you are splitting it up. You're not taking it all at once. And again, if you're prone to digestive issues, just make sure you have some food with it. You should feel better afterwards. And those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, inositol is a type, it's a pseudovitamin. It's a type of B vitamin that's very beneficial for PCOS. It's a supplement that I, you know, there's a lot of studies behind it showing that it helps reduce insulin resistance, helps lower testosterone. It helps even regulate your period. It helps with egg quality. So it's really important for fertility. There's also studies that show it helps reduce mood swings. So there are a lot of benefits associated with it that are documented in scientific literature. There's actually been studies done on this and it's a great product, very minimal side effects, very safe for PCOS. It's even safe during pregnancy. I have many clients who've gotten pregnant throughout my programs and have continued to take inositol and have done great. So it's very safe. Anything that's safe during pregnancy, you know that it's safe, right? So This is probably the one supplement that across the board I recommend to most of my clients. Even if you don't have insulin resistance, you would still see benefits with inositol, especially if you're dealing with high testosterone levels and fertility is something that you want to optimize. So hopefully this makes sense. And again, the two brands that I recommend are Vita Chic. It's V-I-T-A-C-H-I-C. They're Mayo de Cairo Combo is the one that I recommend. Or you can go with Ovacetol, O-V-A-S-I-T-O-L, which is a name brand for a powder. 
is it okay to take an acetal while on Ozempic? I would recommend that you speak to your doctor, Crystal, just to make sure. But generally speaking, yes, it is safe. But, you know, not knowing much about you, I can't really say if it's safe specifically for you. But just like generally speaking, yes, I have many clients who take different medications for diabetes and are also taking inositol and it's fairly safe. There's actually been a recent study that showed that inositol is just as effective, if not more so than metformin. And so it caused a reduction in A1C that was very similar to metformin, if not better, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's equivalent in terms of the action and how it benefits the blood sugar control, but also there's way less side effects. So it doesn't cause the digestive issues and the diarrhea that's associated with metformin. And so it was studied side by side, metformin versus inositol, and the results were really, really good. You're welcome. Okay. Next question we have is about hair growth. To reverse hair growth, my doctor said laser hair removal would be the most effective treatment if this is something that really bothered me. What is your opinion on this? Okay, so this question, it's a really personal choice. I've had many clients who have done laser and seen good results and the the hair, of course, was not growing anymore. And then I had clients who've done it and then a few years later, hair came back. Obviously, with hair growth and facial hair growth, and I'm right there with you, it's something that can really bother you. And if it bothers you to the point where you want it taken care of now, I'm not opposed to something like laser hair removal. Again, I know many people who've done well with it. But that being said, you would still want to take care of the root cause. So if you have high androgens, whether that's coming from your ovaries, like your testosterone, maybe that's related to insulin resistance, which is usually where high testosterone levels are coming from. If you have high DHEA, which is a male hormone that's secreted from the adrenal glands that sit on your kidneys, that's usually more related to stress. We know that women with PCOS are dealing with both androgens that are related to high stress and androgens that are related to high insulin resistance coming from your ovaries. Those are the two types of androgens that are usually at play. We want to take care of both because if you're doing laser and you remove the hair temporarily, but then it comes back, it's because you haven't reduced the androgens. You still have too much male hormone in your body. And so we have to make sure that whether you decide to do it or not, you're taking care of the root problem, which is high androgen levels. And that can be done with nutrition. For sure, your insulin resistance, if it's something you're struggling with, or your DHEA levels can come down significantly. And that has a really positive effect on symptoms associated with high androgens like hair growth, hair loss, acne, missing periods. And so I would say I'm never opposed to doing something cosmetic, right? So things like laser hair removal or anything that has to do with actually removing the hair, whether that's through, is it electrolosis or electrolysis? I think it's electrolysis, but you know what I'm talking about. A lot of my clients have done that as well, or you're just plucking them for, for that matter. That's cosmetic. It doesn't take care of the root cause. So we always want to go deep. Okay. So That would be kind of like my two cents about that. Yes, do the cosmetic stuff if it helps you and makes you feel better. And, you know, it improves your confidence and self-esteem, which we can't ignore that that impact is there. 
But at the same time, let's take care of the root cause. That takes a little bit longer, but long term, it will benefit you a lot more because you'll see more permanent results. I want to ask my doctor to get off the pill, but before I do that, what should I have in mind? And are there signs that I should look at before I ask this? So I have many clients who've come off the pill successfully. And when I say successfully, what I mean is that they've been on the pill for a really long time and then they came off it and they didn't get a resurgence of acne all over their face. They did not get a period for months and months on end. Usually when people come off the pill after they've been through some of the programs and the coaching and everything that they need to be doing, they get a period really quickly and they don't really see a huge kind of resurgence of their symptoms, sometimes worse than they were before. That's usually what happens when you come off the pill. If you haven't prepared for it properly, your androgens could, all your hormones could really go haywire and that's not what we want. Because that's usually when people are like, no, no, forget this. I'm going to go back on the pill. The pill suppresses your hormones. So when you're on the birth control pill and not just the birth control pill, any type of hormonal birth control that could be an intrauterine device that's hormonal as well, like Mirena, that suppresses your hormones. You're not ovulating. And so... It's almost like putting your hormones in the freezer, right? Like it's just on hold. There's nothing happening. And then when you come off the pill, all the issues that were there are going to come back likely. They're still there. You just didn't deal with them. We didn't deal with them yet. And so if you were to come off the pill, I would say, let's make sure that you're for three, four, six months before that, really taking care of the nutrition and lifestyle side of things. And that that means replenishing any nutrients that may be depleted, uh, which if you've been on the pill for a really long time, that's definitely something that can happen. Uh, The pill can deplete certain B vitamins and others. Let's make sure that your gut is in good shape. There are studies that show that the birth control pill can really disrupt your gut. And so, and just making sure that your hormones, what you're eating is setting you up, you're building the habits, you're getting in a good groove with nutrition plan that balances your hormones. That way, when you come off the pill, you're going to be smooth sailing and not noticing a huge shift. Some things could still happen. It could still be a little rocky in the beginning, but I say, you know, sometimes people come off the pill and then they start thinking about their nutrition and starting to only get, begin the process of balancing their hormones with the food. And that's really tough because there could be a long period of time where things, the symptoms are really, really bad. And so I would say, if you plan on doing that, put in the work and get the routine going now so that when you come off the pill, you're already in a groove with it and you don't have to now start learning all those habits that help you balance the hormones. Let me know in the chat if that makes sense, but that is really what I would do. There's not really like a weaning off of the pill or anything like that. Most of my clients who've come off have just come off after they've done all the other work as far as the food and habits. And it can be done. It can be done. It can be done successfully. So I wouldn't necessarily prepare any other way, but focusing on your habits and nutrition. You mentioned that the bread we choose does not matter as long as it contains two to three grams of fiber. Can you please elaborate? Yeah. So Two things here. Someone asked about sourdough, which is a bread that doesn't really contain fiber, but it just so happens to be one fiber lacking bread that is actually lower glycemic and has some nutritional benefit to it because it contains probiotics. That's over here. And it has really nothing to do with fiber because it doesn't contain much, but I still think it's a good choice. 
on the other side, we have all other breads. And within those other breads, I want you to choose ones that do have fiber. So two to three grams, it could be a sprouted bread. It could be an oat flour based bread, which is a really good choice. It could be a whole wheat bread, whatever type of bread that you find and you like that has two to three grams of fiber is pretty good. But sourdough bread is kind of like an exception to that because it doesn't contain fiber. But I still do think it's a good choice for a lot of people because, again, it's not something that spikes your blood sugar as much. Hopefully, you include fiber and protein with that breakfast regardless of the bread that you choose. So we have to mention that as well. And also, it contains some probiotics just because of the way that it's made. Now, all of that being said... If you absolutely cannot find a bread that you like, you like the regular Wonder Bread and that is the only type that you like or you like potato bread or whatever other bread that you are used to eating and you absolutely love and don't want to part ways with, keep it. Keep it. Don't worry about it. Let's see how else we can balance your plate and get fiber elsewhere in your day. Protein, lots of vegetables, timing your meals properly, making sure that you're preparing the foods in a way that makes sense for your body and hormones, the one piece of bread or two pieces of bread or 17 pieces of bread in your week are not going to make a difference. Don't worry about the small stuff. I'm giving you the tips and strategies so you can make the best choices that you can and be educated. But if something doesn't work for you, don't sweat it. Don't worry about it. Okay. There's so much more that you could be doing. There are other things. There are a million ways that you can improve your nutrition for PCOS. It's not going to all rise and fall on the bread. (laughs) So let me know in the chat if we're good with that. I just want to make that very, very clear. I also think that if you're finding that you're obsessing or you're feeling a little bit too preoccupied with very, like the minutia of things, that's not a good sign. Okay. So we want to make sure that you have a, a more like zoomed out look at what you're eating. We don't want to micromanage every single thing. So I'm giving you the tips, the information, and the education so you can run with it. But at the end of the day, it's the big picture that makes the most difference. Is there any negative to feeding this way of eating to my family? I don't see any reason, but wanted to check if there are foods that should be avoided or fed to kids or husbands. Any tips on scaling up the meals for three to four servings? Yes, that's a good question. I don't know who asked this because of the the way that I, I run these, but that's a great question. This is a great way for everyone to eat. Some people in your family may need additional nutrition. So, you know, if your husband's six foot five and 250 pounds, he needs a lot more food than, you know, someone who's shorter and smaller. So there could be nuances and amounts of food may change. They may need a little bit more carbohydrates than you. So everyone's different in terms of their specific nutritional needs. But generally speaking, kids, teens, husbands, we've had many picky husbands convert to healthy eaters in my programs. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of everyone who's done the hard work to kind of put the healthy nutrition philosophy across their entire family. So all jokes aside about picky eaters, husbands, and all of that, this is a great way for everyone to eat. And when everyone in the family eats the same food, that is a huge benefit. It creates healthier habits for everyone. It increases the relationships in the family. So there is a lot of a like a positive ripple effect to this. But yes, everyone could be eating the same types of meals. They are balanced. They're excellent. You may have a little bit more nuance to it 
than some of the other members of the family. And again, this is what we go deep into inside the program. But generally speaking, the recipes that I provide, the types of, you know, general nutrition information that we had talked about this week is great for everyone. And so thanks for asking that because that's a really good point. Again, you may want to bulk up the meal. So of course you can increase the portions of the recipes. You can offer additional types of starches or vegetables on the side. Someone in your family may need additional snacks in between meals. I've had some clients who have kids who are young athletes and things like that. So, you know, there's obviously some modifications that may need to happen based on the specific situation. But generally speaking, you can always scale the recipes, add another carbohydrate choice, a vegetable choice, a protein choice. You know, you can, of course, double up the recipes and make as many servings as you'd like. As far as the composition of it, it's great for everyone. Maybe along the same lines as the question about coming off the pill, my doctor recommended I start GLP-1 for PCOS weight gain, and I've been feeling really discouraged that my attempts to address it through lifestyle aren't working. It feels kind of all or nothing, but I am I right thinking it's just as important to properly figure out the lifestyle side, whether or not I go on a medication... Yes, you're absolutely right. I'm not opposed to medications. And I used to work in a medically supervised weight loss setting for many years. So I'm very familiar with, with the GLP-1 analogs and all of those medications that have been around before even Wagovi and Ozempic. We had Qsimia and Contrave. Those are still around. Here's the thing with the medications. I actually have an old podcast episode about weight loss medications. It's outdated because of new medications that have came out, but the principle is still the same. The medication is a tool to help you feel more comfortable as you're making lifestyle changes. They curb your hunger. They reduce your appetite. They make you feel fuller on a smaller amount of food. So they help with portion control. There is no magic to them though. You still need to learn how to eat because hopefully you'll come off the medication at some point and those habits will just continue for you. And so if you're not learning anything in the process of taking a medication, which I see a lot online, everyone's you know taking the medication and using it kind of like a magic wand, it really doesn't work that way. Yes, it produces pretty dramatic weight loss, but at the same time, you can achieve the same thing. Maybe it will take a little bit longer, but you can achieve the same thing with a food plan that's tailored to your needs and is taking into consideration the fact that you want to lose weight. So you can absolutely do that. I have people who've lost 30, 40, and 50 pounds in my program. It didn't happen as quickly as it does for some people who take the medication, but the medication is not what causes the weight loss. What causes the weight loss is the type of eating that you're doing, the style of eating and what you're eating. The medication just helps you feel less hungry. And so it makes it easier. It's just a tool. Okay. So I would say that if you're not quite sure that what you're eating is correct for your body and you think that you could do some work there, do that first. And then if, if you can always go on a medication later on, but I would say, and that's what I've been telling people for over 10 years when I worked in weight loss. And now is that you should exhaust all options before going on something like a medication for weight loss or going for bariatric surgery, which I have clients who've done that as well. So I want to make sure that you're perfectly clear and sure that you've already tried everything and that your food and nutrition are dialed in as much as possible. If the results are still not there, which I would doubt, then you can always add a medication and there's nothing wrong with that. And it could be very helpful. People have seen great results with it, but it doesn't replace the need to still take care of the food and nutrition. And so thinking about it in this way may help you make the decision 
But regardless, yes, the nutrition is still going to be of utmost importance. I eat pretty healthy 70% of the time. My lunch is mainly built with protein and vegetables and some carbs. However, I always hit a post-lunch slump and sugar craving after lunch. And then we also had a question that's related. So I want to answer both at the same time. And that question was, how can I break the habit of eating sweets after dinner? Okay, so both of those questions are kind of similar. My answer is similar to both. Actually, I do want to separate them because I have a, a couple of things that I want to say about the lunch. A lot of times when we have cravings throughout the day, it's not because of the last thing we ate. It's kind of like when you get food poisoning, you associated with the last thing you ate, whereas we actually know that it's what you ate usually 48 to 72 hours before. So that's a little side note, but it's usually not, the cravings are not caused by the, by the last meal that you had. It's more of a bigger picture. And so if you get cravings and an energy crash every single day after lunch, I want you to zoom out a little bit and see what did you have last night? What did you have for breakfast? And what did you have for lunch? So let's look at the last three meals that you had and think whether or not they, first of all, had enough protein. Maybe you're someone who needs to just focus more on the protein that usually helps curb the cravings the best. The other thing is, did you eat a breakfast? Did you time it properly? Usually I recommend eating within 90 minutes of waking up. Believe it or not, that really sets the tone for the day in terms of hunger and cravings. So those of you who say, I'm not hungry when I wake up. If I eat breakfast, I'm hungry all day long. There's something going on there that we need to change. I do recommend that you look at some type of a portable, small volume breakfast that you'll tolerate. Or if you're eating breakfast, maybe you're not eating the right stuff. Unfortunately, most of the breakfast items that we know, like cereal and pancakes and Pop-Tarts and whatever, what have you, are not necessarily like the best balance of nutrition for our body. And so I would take a look at breakfast. Is it timed properly? Does it have enough protein? Are you eating enough at breakfast to sustain you for four hours? That's really important. That's what's going to usually determine the cravings for the rest of the day. And then you can even go back to the night before and see what type of dinner you had. That may have caused a little bit of a, like a blood sugar fluctuation for you throughout the night and you woke up with that. So that's one thing. The second thing is let's look at lunch. Did you eat enough? Why are you getting tired after you eat? That means that maybe your blood sugar is spiking and then crashing. Maybe you're eating too many carbohydrates. So in the worksheet that I gave you on day three, when we talked about adding carbs with confidence, I showed you how to gauge whether or not you ate too many or too few carbs. Based on what you're saying, you're eating too many carbohydrates at, at lunch. If you're feeling like really fatigued and craving sugar, that's usually a sign that you, you're not eating based on the carb tolerance. So this is something else that we go deeply into in the program is really identifying the carb tolerance and seeing, are you eating too little, too much, what type? And so changing that may help a lot with your energy levels and the cravings after the meal. It sounds to me without knowing too much information that you are maybe eating a little bit too many carbohydrates. So you may want to change your carbs to something that's containing more fiber and protein, like the beans and legumes that we talked about. So I would really encourage you to up the protein up the fiber from the plant-based sources at lunch. Make sure that you're timing breakfast properly and that it's a nice size meal. And then also looking at what's happening the night before with dinner. Okay, so that would be kind of my thing. And then listen, if you're someone who eats lunch and you get hungry within a couple hours, a lot of times if you're working and you're busy, you're gonna need more energy to sustain yourself and make sure that you're not crashing. So add a snack. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I wouldn't want you to 
eat something between meals that worsens your blood sugar control, right? So we don't want to go with a like candy bar or something like that, that's going to give you very temporary, like a second wave of energy that's going to soon fizzle out. We want something that's going to stabilize your blood sugar and keep your energy sustained. So that could be a protein and a fat. So maybe you're doing a Greek yogurt with some nuts. Maybe you're doing a few slices of deli meat with half an avocado. Maybe you're doing a hard boiled egg with a string cheese, right? All of those combinations will really optimize your blood sugar. So if you're getting hungry between lunch and dinner, you tend to crave sweets and have an energy crash a couple hours after lunch, have a snack. I mean, let's not try to make it through. That doesn't make sense, right? But you want to make sure that everything else, all of these things build upon each other. That's why the whole lifestyle is important. That's why your entire day is important. It's not about the bread or the one meal. We want to make sure that everything else is setting you up for success because your entire day builds upon each other, you know, so all the meals and snacks and habits that you practice. So if you feel a lot of cravings in the afternoon or in the evening, when you come home, it's a free for all with the food because you're famished. Let's start thinking about what's happening earlier on in the day and, and fix that first. So the two questions that are kind of related was that, right? Having the energy and sugar crashes after lunch. And then also the two other questions, there's like three questions that are kind of related. How can I break the habit of eating sweets after dinner? And then how can I cheat my mind when I'm not hungry, but my mind is telling me to eat mainly sugary snacks? How can I control myself when sugar and chocolate is around me? I can't stop eating them. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a little tough love here. And I'm going to say you can absolutely stop if you wanted to stop. You just really need to think about what's behind the urge to eat. Is it need? Is it habit? Are you eating just because? So I would want you all to think about not labeling yourself and not saying I just can't stop or I have no self-control or I'm so bad around chocolate or I'm a sugar pollock or I'm addicted to sugar none of that serves you. Okay. So this is the point where I give you a little bit of coaching and a little bit of tough love. Don't do that. Let's not label ourselves. We don't need to use these phrases. You can absolutely change any habit that you want to change. The key is to do something different. Okay. Because if nothing changes, nothing changes. I say this all the time. If you're not changing your habits, but you're expecting a different result, you're going to be waiting a long time. Okay, so if we really want to see habit change, we need to do something different. And let's not worry about labeling or, you know, thinking we're doomed to fail or kind of calling ourselves names. There's no point in that. And so if you really feel like this sugar habit is bothering you, it's impacting you and you want to change it, I'm going to give you some tips. But the other thing I want to say is if you're eating a piece of chocolate every day after dinner, I don't see a need to change that. In fact, I do that myself, right? And so sometimes we get hung up on these habits that we think are bad, but are actually not bad at all. And, you know, they can fit into your lifestyle. They can be a, a thing that you enjoy and you do, and you still keep the balance elsewhere in your day. So I don't necessarily think that we need to break this habit and avoid the sweets. They're part of life. It's nothing bad. You can have it after dinner if you want. I, In fact, I think that when we think about eating chocolate or having dessert every day as bad, we start acting like a bad person. Like we start assuming this personality. And let me know in the comments if you can relate to that. 
if I eat something bad, that means I'm bad. And now I might as well eat this and that or whatever it may be. And then also when we start labeling the foods like that and really having resistance around eating certain foods, it makes those foods more desirable because we all want what we can't have. That's human nature. And so I want you to think about, are you just building up these foods and thinking, oh, I can't have this. I'm so bad. I'm such a failure if I eat this. And at the end of the day, what you're causing is just more stress and anxiety and making that food even more desirable. So now it's you versus the food and it becomes this battle. I had a client the other day, she submitted one of the forms, the accountability check-ins, and she said, you know, it's really me versus me, right? So when, when she's trying to change her habits, what she's realizing is that a lot of the issues that we have around food, we created ourselves. And a lot of this starts with this food is bad, or I have no control, or I'm so weak, and there's no hope for me, all of that kind of language is really not serving us. And so don't make this to be you versus the food. Let's leave that for man versus food on TV, which is my kid's favorite show. Okay, we don't want to have this relationship with the food where it's like the enemy It's something you constantly are trying to control, but almost like it has power over you. You can change that. That's all up here. And that's where the mindset coaching comes in. And that's where changing habits really makes a big difference. But you got to learn how to change your habits. Most people don't know how to do that. Okay, so that's just like a little disclaimer that I wanted to put before I give you some practical tips about that. Okay, I'd love to know if this is all resonating though. So if you let me know in the comments, I'd really appreciate it. Okay, so here's the thing. I wanted to show you something that helps my clients gauge their hunger and where cravings are coming from and what's happening in their body. Because the first thing that you're gonna wanna do when you have a desire to eat something sweet or when you are about to have dessert after dinner is you want to just take a pause for a second and check in with your body. What is actually going on? Okay. So a lot of times we eat on autopilot. We don't take the moment, the second, the minute to think about what it is that we're really feeling. I know that when I finish dinner and I sit on the couch, I get a pint of ice cream. That is the behavior chain that happens every single night. And I'm not even thinking about it. I do it on autopilot. A lot of habits around food are like that. And so in order to change this behavior chain, in order to break the chain, we have to pause. When you pause, it helps your brain kick into a more rational state of thinking. When you act quickly, this is all coming from your your kind of child brain or reptile brain, the brain that's not fully like thinking about consequences. There are two parts to your brain. There's the part that wants instant gratification and the part that actually weighs consequences and thinks more rationally. That brain is slower to kick in, right? The instant gratification brain is the one that's always like, yes, do that, go eat that. Yes, I'm in the mood. Yes, I'm craving. No, we want to pause. We want to allow the other brain to kick in and say what it has to say as well. And that's where we're thinking about what we really want. How does this fit into my goals? How is this going to make me feel? Do I like the results of this, of eating this food, right? These are the thoughts and processes that you want to go through when you're evaluating whether or not to to go for something or not go for something. And when it's on autopilot, that whole process is skipped because it happens so, so quickly. And so I want you to take a pause first and foremost, 10 minutes, 
just sit with it. Just do something else during that time before you go to eat that sugary thing, dessert or, or what have you. Okay. Let's just take a moment. Then what I want you to do, and I'm going to show you something here. I want you to tune into your body. And so if you can see this, then I want, I'm going to describe what we're looking at. Okay. So what we're looking at here, and hopefully you can see this is your head versus body hunger. And I know this is a little creepy because this girl doesn't have a face, but let's just kind of bear with me here. And I'm going to actually remove this banner so you can see it better. Okay. When you pause, it's a really good time to check in with your body and ask yourself, am I experiencing head or body hunger? This is actually um, right from the program. This is one of the things that we talk about. There is a difference between eating based on your psychological triggers versus your actual true body hunger cues. And when you're experiencing head hunger, everything is going to be centered above the neck. You're thinking about a food, you're kind of like envisioning what it would taste like, you're obsessing about it a little bit, you're in the mood for it, and it can happen anytime. It doesn't really matter if you ate or not, it's just going to show up at a random time. That's a craving. It requires your immediate attention. It's kind of like this thought that doesn't leave, it just stays there and continues over and over again. The desire is very specific. So when you have head hunger, you're going to know exactly what it is that you want. I want vanilla ice cream with hot chocolate fudge and whipped cream, right? It's very, very specific. It's not satisfied after you're eating. That's another big sign. So if you eat something and then you're like, I can go for something else or I'm in the mood for something else now. And maybe sometimes you get into this salt and sweet and salty and sweet cycle. And then it triggers emotions of guilt and shame. A lot of times there's, it just doesn't feel good mentally. Body hunger feels a whole lot different. It's a totally different experience. It's centered below the neck. It usually builds over time. So usually about three to four hours after your meals, it can wait. Usually there's going to be a lot of options that sound good. Okay. Many different meals are going to sound appealing here. It's going to go away after you've ate because you've satisfied the hunger. Your body is now full and it feels good. It feels positive. You move on with your day. You're feeling satiated and satisfied and you're no longer thinking about food. Whereas with head hunger, you continue to think about food even after you ate that thing. And so this is a really good exercise to do to get in the habit of pausing and tuning in. It's not going to necessarily happen overnight, but the more you do this, the more you'll notice what it is really that your body needs. And if you've kind of gone through this exercise and you've decided that it's head hunger that you're experiencing, well, what is your mind really telling you? Are you stressed? Are you bored? Are you, do you have something that you need to do and you don't want to? Are you procrastinating, right? And when you've identified what that emotion is that's really triggering you to eat because it's not physical hunger, it's something more psychological, then I want you to respond with the right action, okay? So if you're stressed, do something relaxing that's not food related because chances are if you're eating to relax, you're gonna need to continue to eat more and more because food doesn't really relax you. Food is meant to fill you, to nourish you. So maybe you need to take a nap. Maybe you need to take a break. Maybe you need to journal to de-stress a little. Whatever it is that de-stresses you, listen to music, okay? If you are sad, maybe you need to find an activity that brings you joy, right? So we wanna respond with the appropriate activity. Food is not a a remedy or a treatment for emotions. 
Okay. It really is not. Unfortunately, a lot of us have learned to use food as a coping mechanism, as an emotional crutch. But first of all, it doesn't work. Secondly, it's not aligned with your goals. So if you have a goal of getting healthier and, you know, having a better relationship with food, that's not really going to happen through emotional eating. This is something that takes time. It's not going to happen overnight, but I just wanted to show you this because this is a really important step of the process of breaking the habit of relying on sugar, of going for sugar just because you think that you have no other choice or you're addicted to it or that it has a pull on you. Okay, so hopefully this makes sense. However, I just want to complete the cycle for us here. If you've decided it's head hunger and maybe you still want to eat something, you can, but maybe you have something that is more mindfully eaten. So maybe you put something on a plate, you put a couple pieces of chocolate and you get an herbal tea and you savor that. You put it on a plate, you sit down, you're not eating in front of the pantry right out of a package. You're actually taking the time to enjoy and savor what it is that you're eating. And so mindful eating is another important component of this. So really thinking about what it is that you're feeling, what type of hunger it is. And then if you decided that you still want to eat something, which is totally legit and normal and fine, do that mindfully, put it on a plate, make sure that you're pairing it. So maybe if you're eating chocolate, you're pairing it with something else that's going to balance your blood sugar and not put you into this cycle. Maybe you're having herbal tea. Maybe it's bedtime. Maybe you really need to go to bed, right? So a lot of times we try to stay up and the longer we stay up, the more we eat, but we're really, we're not hungry. We're just tired and we're trying to entertain ourselves. So these are all really important things to notice. And this is how habit change happens and how you actually change your eating behavior overall. Okay. So if you're seeing these patterns in yourself, these are the types of things that you need to work on. And it's really, really important that you do it for a period of time that allows you to see the change and stay consistent with it. Don't just try it one time and say, well, it doesn't work. Your habits are very strong. You've practiced them for decades, probably. So it's not going to take decades to break them, but it can take weeks or months. And so you have to have the guidance, coaching and support to walk you through this process to make sure that you're actually staying with it and seeing those results. But it's okay to eat. Just make sure that you're doing it mindfully. But I would get in the habit of checking in with your body. Believe it or not, just that pause and the check-in can make a huge difference. It can diffuse a binge. It can help you feel more calm in your body and not be reactive. A lot of times when we eat at night, we're reactive to our emotions, to stress, to fatigue, to boredom, to anxiety. And so this pause can make a big difference. And, you know, really knowing that you can absolutely change any habit that you want to change if you put your mind to it and you have the right strategies. You need the toolbox to pull from. And this is just a little taste of what it is, what it looks like. And so hopefully it gave you some food for thought, no pun intended, some strategies to use. But what you're experiencing is pretty common. It can be changed and you are the one who has the capacity to change it. You just have to kind of learn how to do it. But I would say that start with no labeling, accepting the habits that you currently have and thinking about which of those do you really want to change. And sometimes I would tell people, let's start changing only the one or two habits that you think are most impactful on your life. If something like this, if you're finding yourself eating sugar after lunch or after dinner or feeling compelled to eat sweets all day long, and it's happening frequently, obviously every day is very frequently, that's a really high priority. Okay. So what's happening every single day has a 
kind of gets bumped up to the top of the priority list as far as things to work on. Don't worry about the things that happen infrequently. Like if you have a wedding this summer or you have a trip coming up, don't worry about that. Let's work on the things that happen every single day and are really making an impact on your health. And it sounds like this is one of them for you, the person who submitted this question. It sounds like you're really in feeling frustrated with yourself about it. So that's something that I would definitely try the things, the strategies that I gave you today, and hopefully you see some change there. What are your thoughts about intuitive eating? So I'm not an intuitive eating dietitian. There are a lot of principles of intuitive eating that I do like, like listening to your body and eating based on your hunger. But also I think that when you have a chronic condition like PCOS, you need more guidance and you need the specific types of you know, nutrition education and specific types of meal ideas and suggestions to really manage it. So I don't think that you know the part that I don't like about intuitive eating is that there's no guidance and there's not really any sort of direction as far as how to eat or, you know, everything is on limits all the time. I don't think that's helpful. I've had many clients who've done intuitive eating and gained tremendous amounts of weight and have felt like they really are lost and they're not sure if what they're doing is right for their hormones. So when you have a chronic condition, I do think that you need more specific nutrition recommendations, but I do believe in not dieting. I do believe in not having too many food rules. I do believe in listening to your hunger and listening to your body and not eating based on the clock or on you know external reasons like intermittent fasting or things like that. So I do like working with your body. I like the intuitive side of working with your body. I think that makes a lot of sense. But with that, I do like to give more specific recommendations to my clients and that combination works really well. Should supplements like inositol or reishi that can help decrease androgens be taken permanently or will I be able to stop taking them in certain point in time without acne or hair loss showing up again? I don't know. That you know, is hard to tell. Usually if you balance your hormones and if things are in a good place, yeah, you can try to come off of the uh, supplements or medications for that matter. The nice thing about supplements is that they are safe for long-term use. But if you're someone who doesn't like to take pills, if you get to a good point where you're good with your nutrition, your symptoms are managed, your testosterone levels are down on your blood test results and things are looking good. Yeah, you can start paring down your supplements and not have to take them for life. So it can happen. But for a lot of people, staying on this on the supplements means that they are keeping their hormones balanced and they're in this routine. It's almost like a food. So they just incorporate that into their day permanently. So it really is tough to tell. The good thing is that if you do come off and things start getting disrupted again, or you see some resurgence of certain symptoms, you can then return. So it's worth a try. But to say if it's guaranteed that you'll see or not see the symptoms come back, I don't know. I think we've gotten through all of our questions. If you have anything else that you'd like to ask, please put it into the chat. Otherwise, I think we're going to wrap up for today. So all of you here are going to be invited into the PCOS Food Fix later on today. So I'm excited to see you in that program. We're going to work together for six weeks. It's going to be incredible. I have a special bonus for anyone who's been part of the workshop. So please make sure that you check that out as well. And other than that, I hope you enjoyed the workshop. I hope you're working away with some tips and new meal ideas and like newly found inspiration to get cooking in the kitchen and take some shortcuts, of course. Let's see here. Can you find that your clients are able to have success with all of this at a time in their lives 
when a lot feels out of their control due to demands of very young kiddos, overwhelming work obligations as well. Yeah, so the program is actually designed for specifically busy women. So whether that's family commitments, work commitments, just life in general, we all have stuff going on. And the beauty of it is that it can really seamlessly fit into your life wherever you are, okay? So I want you to know that if you learn this stuff now, you're going to be able to use it forever and life's not going to slow down. You know, when kids get older, there's always going to be something. So unfortunately, the stars really never align for us. It's never a perfect time to do something like this. But I do find that the program helps you learn how to balance or juggle the busyness of life with a healthy eating lifestyle, right? Because really your health cannot wait, right? We don't want to put that stuff on pause. And so as far as the time commitment for the program, it's not huge. It's less than an hour a day as far as watching the materials and things like that. And it's designed to save you time and make healthy eating more streamlined and fit into your busy lifestyle wherever you are. And so all my clients lead very full lives, multiple jobs, sometimes kids, families, commitments, social life, community life, friendships, all of that. And so it is really life-changing, quite honestly, to learn how to do this and not let life get in the way of putting you as a priority. So when you learn to manage your health, despite anything that's going on in your life, you're going to be able to use it forever. You only need to learn it one time. And this is why it's so different than diets, because it doesn't take up a lot of your energy. It doesn't mean that you only need to eat in one specific way. I teach you a variety of ways to do things and you pick and choose what works for you and you run with it. And then you're going to run into some obstacles. I'm going to guarantee you that. But this is where the coaching comes in. This is where the daily chat support comes in. We're right there with you and you're with a group of women who are doing exactly the same thing and are just as busy as you likely. And you're going to be able to get support, see what's working, ask your questions, get the coaching, get unstuck when you need to. And so I think the combination of learning it and getting the help and being walked step-by-step through it is what makes a difference. And then you know that if you could do it when you're busy, you could do it later on when life hopefully does slow down. And if it doesn't, then that's fine too, because you know what to do. So that's what I teach inside the program. All right, ladies. I am so happy that you joined me. I want to really give you a thumbs up for all your hard work, the pictures you've been sending me of your meals, the comments, the questions. You've been an amazing group. I hope to see you inside the program. You can always reach out to me on Instagram or via email if you need to ask me anything or you're not sure if you have a follow-up question. And other than that, hopefully you'll continue to check out all the free stuff that I have, my content on Instagram, my podcast and everything else. All right. Have a wonderful weekend and I will talk to you soon. Bye.